welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Josh, for being a guest on the podcast. And um, we know each other, our families know each other from like a, a while back. Maybe it was through homeschooling. Yeah, just English country dancing. I guess that's where we bumped into you guys. Up in um, St. Charles? Yeah, like 10, 12 years ago or something like that. Okay. And um, so I think there was a group that was dancing up in St. Charles, and then there was also like um, a group that met there and kind of along 141 somewhere. Um, yeah, that. so the group uh, in St. Charles was a group that uh, it was at a Lutheran church, and our friends the Stearns hosted that. A little closer. And uh, the group in 141 was a group that the Sewermans okay. and my father wanted to put together because all of us dancers who were down in Eureka or in South County or Jefferson County had to drive like an hour plus. So we just really wanted to have a group farther south, which is where I feel like where we got to know you guys a little more because you guys always came to the, the ones that we went to. Okay. So you're, you're a part of a big family. Like how many of there are you? Uh, there's 17 of us. 17, um, including your mom and dad. No, oh. there's 17 kids, uh, all of, all descendants of my mom and dad. Okay. Biologically. Okay. And um, and then you're married. I am married. And so your wife's name's Anna, or the uh, Anna, like Frozen. Uh, Anna. Okay. <laughs> so, um, 17 kids, and you're about. The fourth from the oldest, or I'm the third from the oldest. My okay. older sister, she's married with three kids. My older brother is just recently married this year. My, I'm married, and then my younger brother Elijah has four kids, and he's been married for about five years. Okay. Well, I guess you know, just starting out, um, tell me about your family. Like, what's your family like? Um, we call ourselves a clan or a tribe. I don't know. We were just very involved in each other's lives. Everything we did was a lot of just family events family oriented um typically we wouldn't do things if it was just one or two person uh focused it was just kind of all-encompassing so you know even evening events or weekend things that we did it was just things that we just focused on that we all could do and we still try to keep that even as we get married although it gets very it gets a lot harder you know as as we get married and move out um you know kind of forcing that you know, intentional sibling relationship because, I mean, my youngest sister's only eight years old. So even, you know, being married, I'm still a brother to an eight-year-old sister who most of her life I've been at college, out of the house, working full-time. So it's just a different relationship. It's almost like a, it's like a, there's almost like a different type of relationship I have with my younger half than my older half. Right. So. Yeah. So, um, in what ways, so in one, I can see how you'd all do things together because, like, there just wouldn't be um, time for everyone to do their own thing, you know. So, um, in what other ways is it kind of different being a part of, you know, growing up with a large family? Um, anything just kind of would that would seem unusual to, you know, more of a, you know, a smaller family? See, it's funny you use the word unusual because for me, when I got my own room, that was unusual. (laughs) 
the first time I moved out when I was 20 years old, uh, I moved into an apartment with this RTC guy, so he essentially got the unit for free through his RTC scholarship, and I got my own room if I just paid the electric bill. And getting my own room, I didn't even know what to do with the space, so that was unusual for me. Uh So I guess what would be usual for me, but unusual for other people, is like sharing rooms with six brothers, seven brothers at a time. We uh, having a triple bunk bed. Um, we we were always very like in the kitchen when we worked. You just kind of you just kind of squeeze past your siblings, you know, to to make food in the kitchen, and and that's kind of normal. Um, when we get together, we don't all eat at the kitchen table. We just kind of sprawl out across the kitchen and living room, and. Um, I don't know, those are things that might not be normal, but for me are kind of perfectly normal, I guess. So how do you think that you're different because of the experience of growing up in a large family? Um, I mean, in all honesty, it it made me very close with my siblings. Uh, There's a lot of life events that we had that happened that drew us together and closer. Um... And, and I feel like my siblings are my best friends. I know that sounds corny, but it's, it really is something that we just, we do like hanging out together and we'll just, I mean, just sitting around a campfire, we'll talk for hours. Um, and, uh, I don't know, like the, the idea that you don't want to hang out with your siblings. I've heard some of my coworkers say that, and that just kind of shocks me. It's not, it's not normal for me. How old are you? I'm 26. 26. So, so the, is the oldest 30-ish or so? Yeah, or? she's like 29. 29. Yeah, 29, 30 maybe. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're still pre- still pretty young. The youngest uh, with four out of the house. The younger 13 are still at home. So there's still a lot of a lot at home. A lot at home. Yeah. So. Is your house a bigger house? No, home? about 1,100 square feet. 1,100. Yeah. Wow. So about the same size as yours, I feel like, and. Uh, we did finish the basement, so technically, they don't count that in the square footage. We, we finished we finished the basement with an extra bedroom and two more bathrooms. So even though it's only 1,100 square feet, there's three full and one half bath. So yeah, but uh, yeah, that that we did that when I was like in high school. We renovated that. So, um, what roles do your like mom and dad play in? You know the whole dynamic. Like, is your dad pretty much the leader of of the family and so forth? Or? Well, I mean, <clears throat> so obviously it's changed as I've gotten married because, you know, one thing my dad always stressed is, you know, we're all autonomous families, and so as we all get married or even move out, you know, we become our own individuals. Yeah. You know, our dad really stressed. Um, coming from a Christian background, my dad always said that there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, becoming a, a, he calls it like a sovereign kingdom because, so he, you know, he really wanted to emphasize that. And even my mom, there were times when, when I was, when I was uh, dating or engaged to my wife, my mom told me to do something and she actually said, oh, I don't want to, she said, I don't want to tell him what to do, even though he's still my son, you know, he's engaged to you. And he he was talk she was talking to my wife and so she said she didn't want to like overstep her bounds because now we're you know autonomous families and um, you know that's just something my fa- parents really emphasized you know and so yeah my father let he let leading his family I guess it's still my family but it's 
kind of different now that I'm married. You know, I make my own, make our own different tribal decisions. Um, yeah, he did. He led very. Um, we jokingly called him like the dictator, but he he had pretty flexible rules. But we just knew that he was in charge, and you know, we he wanted us to respect his authority, and we all did. Um, you know, at times I'm sure there was friction. I mean, even me in my high school years, or because I'm my dad called me a natural leader. There's times where I wanted to lead, but he would have to, you know, graciously humble me and let me know that you know he's the leader of the family, and and he did do that at times, where I was out of, I guess you know, out of my place. So yeah, he. You know, typically that's that's what you see in large families. Um, at least that's what I have seen in large families is the dad usually leads. And um, I mean, especially with a Judeo-Christian background, like that's kind of what is biblical as well. Okay, so is your entire family um, Christian? Like of all all of the kids? I mean, um, you know, I know like the, the young ones might. Um, not have uh, come to the place of taking Christianity as their own, so to speak, but as far as those who have kind of grown up and make a decision for themselves, are they all kind of in that way, the, the Christian life and so forth? Um, well, yeah, as the top four go, um, those of us that have moved out, I think those... Are, and you could, you could also include my older teenage siblings, or uh, I guess I have three or four siblings that are in their 20s or early 20s that still live with my parents and uh as of now you know they all are professing christians with um with with a heart for the lord and a heart for ministry um that's something our parents instilled in us they they say that they would volunteer they would voluntold it's a phrase my mom coined so she say you're voluntold to go serve in ministry so they kind of, you know, anytime someone was moving growing up, my dad was always like, all right, everyone in the van, we're going to go help them move. You know, if we didn't know them, we barely knew them. But if they went to our church or we're in our friend group, we'd help them move. You know, um, VBS, we all, growing up, we were at the church a lot. Um, you know, my dad went to seminary to be a pastor. So there were a few times that he was in a pastoral position and we would do a lot of work at the church. So, um I, based on like that aspect and seeing like the fruit of my siblings wanting to serve in ministry and having a heart for serving others, that it's kind of a good uh, inclination, you know, mm-hmm. that you can kind of say, you know, yes, I believe they're Christians. So yeah, they all are. The older ones are all still professing Christians, and you know, we we go to various churches now as we get older and we spread apart. Um, you know, the church my parents went to for the. As we all got older, it kind of the church my parents went to dissipated. So that kind of forced everyone to find. You know, we didn't all. I guess in some of these churches, everyone grows up and goes to the same church as their parents, and it was kind of unfortunate because we didn't have that opportunity, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But you know, we some of us go to churches in St. Charles, some of us in West County, uh, some in South County. So I guess it's just we're all over the place now. Yeah. Well. How would you describe the the your Christianity, like your the, of your um, home and growing up and so forth? Like, um, you know, there's different traditions, kind of, you know, more of a and beliefs and so forth, like more kind of Roman Catholic. I know you guys are not Roman Catholic, but then there's 
uh, more kind of leaning this way toward um, whatever, or is there anything that you would say that just kind of characterizes uh, the, the type of Christianity you've been involved with? Um, I would just say, my dad said that we were always affiliated with just Bible churches, um, which is essentially kind of a spinoff of Baptist, but without the affiliation, I guess. So you could say Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, um, but my dad always said we were just, you know, Bible churches, Jesus followers, um, non-denominational is, I guess, the modern term, but nowadays that's just the term that churches use, I feel like, to not be affiliated with the denomination, so I... It's sometimes it's better to say Baptist because we're more like a Baptist than a, you know, we're Reformed. If uh, if you understand what like what if people listening to this will understand what that means, um, you know, Reformed Christian. Um, my dad actually, from a salvation perspective, my dad wasn't saved through a group of people at a church. He was actually saved through a book, uh, the late great Planet Earth. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So back in the I guess eighties. When he was 13, uh, he started reading a lot of fiction, and someone told him about this book, talked about the end of the world, and uh, he heard about this book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and he bought it with his own money as a 13-year-old, and he said that was actually a book that saved him. So for the first about five years of his Christianity, all he had was him and the Bible. So it was very unstructured. He had very little guidance. And so as he became a Christian, every you know major theological decision he had to make wasn't based around uh, counselors or guidance people. It was kind of just him, the Bible, and he'd listen to radio preachers. But as he came to a certain topic, whether it be in you know in Christ- in, in all, throughout all of Christendom, we don't necessarily all agree on the the, the small nitty gritty theological points. Whether it might be the end times or um, like the gifts or things like that, he kind of had to figure those all out for himself. Mm-hmm. And then after, you know, he became a youth pastor at 18, and then he went off to Bible college after that, where he kind of got rounded out in a Bible, at Calvary Bible College. Um, but for the first five years, it was kind of this, you might call it like an independent Christianity. Obviously, it's not independent uh, apart from the Holy Spirit, but he was just independent in the way that he had to search the scriptures for his own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I grew up in a house where I had a father teaching me truths, teaching me, uh, you know, where to find answers. You know, if you go to, if you are Reformed versus Arminian, you're going to want to find scriptures. Well, what I would say is you find in the scriptures the scriptures that teach you how, you know, on the doctrine of election and so forth. And those are just, I don't want to get too much into the deep doctrines or whatever, but he had to kind of discover those for himself. Mm-hmm. So that kind of shaped a lot of his Christianity. He actually witnessed to my mother who became who was saved uh, in her high school years. Mm-hmm. And so he, he kind of had this mentality that, you know, we all need to search the scriptures for ourselves. And he just would emphasize that, like I said, you know, there's no grandkids in the kingdom of God. There's God only has children, and so he was he was a natural evangelist because he was saved from, you know, kind of out of nowhere. You might say like he didn't grow up in a Christian family. He grew up in a Catholic family. So, oh, did he? Oh, wow. Yeah, he grew up Catholic, and my mom did too. Okay. So evangelism wasn't naturally going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. And one thing my dad says is um, a lot of Catholics find themselves sitting in church but not hearing the truth. And so they think they have the truth, but they don't. And that's how he and my mother were for the first 13, 18 years of their lives. Um, so, yeah, he, he really has this kind of emphasizing the. I mean, you, you just, you got to search the scriptures for yourself. You know, you can grow up in a church, read their statement of faith and agree with it, and they can point you to the scriptures. But um, where you find the real genuine Christian hunger is when you find that Christian who is searching the scriptures. If they don't know the answers, they're looking, they're asking people, all those things that, um, I don't know, different that's kind of like the, the, the some of the fruit of the spirit, like a, what the true Christian is. You know, they're not they're not okay just going through the motions because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do more than just go through the motions and go to church. If, if going to church was a Christian, being a Christian, you know, then why did Jesus have to die? You know, why why was Jesus preaching the gospel if if being a Christian was just going to church? So anyway, I don't know if that explains your question. It's kind of a roundabout way, but it kind of that backstory kind of emphasizes what he did. Um, a lot of the things he did for us growing up was we'd have theology nights where we would like, he'd come home from work like on Monday or Tuesday night and he would just, uh, he'd go through Christology, which is the study of Christ or uh, eschatology, soteriology, and uh, just the studies of various, you know, God and times, all those things, prophecy. And um, at one point when I was in high school, we were going through a book, 52 Major Bible Themes, and it would say, you know, you know, Christ is God. And then it would give you like 15 verses, and then my dad would have us pick out the first 10 or so. You know, we wouldn't always read all of them, because sometimes there'd be 20 verses, and we just... The, the idea is, you say, where do we find this belief? And then it would draw, give you those scriptures. Um, and uh, I guess, and then just a lot of ministry, always, always at VBS, always helping with church activities... Um, I don't know. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So, um, why Christianity? I know it's like, it comes down to, well, the Bible, but then, you know, why the Bible? Um, so for you, you know, why, you know, Christianity? So personally for me, my salvation experience, um, my salvation story is kind of focused around more ministry, like, I grew up in church, grew up with, uh, you know, having loving, godly parents, but it wasn't until I met some missionaries who were teaching about missionaries who went all around the world, and it kind of hit me in a different light, you know, and I actually got saved at a very young age. Um, I know some people say that they were saved at a young age and rededicated in their teen years or 20s, um, but I genuinely believe that I was saved around the age of four, which is very young. And, you know, I, I sometimes question whether I truly was saved. And I, I truly believe I was, because any time the question came to my head, I had this reassuring from the Holy Spirit that, that I was, that I was saved in Christ uh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but when I was a young, when I was like four, um, we had some missionaries that spoke in our backyard at a, at a, a five-day club with, through Child Evangelism Fellowship. And hearing about missionaries, how they gave their life for, for others, kind of, kind of made more sense to me as a Christian than just going to church, if that makes sense. So that, personally, for me, my salvation story was more based around um, seeing the impact of, of missionaries and and how 
that's what God was calling me to. So, and, and yeah, and it was at that point that I truly, you know, surrendered my sin, gave my life to Christ, um, and chose to follow him. And it, it was young, and I was at a very young age, but through the years, um, I never had a revelation that I wasn't truly saved, or that I was doing it just for other people, or to be liked by my church friends. It was, you know, hearing about missionaries where it was just them in a far-off land, you know, China, India, where they were abused, and, you know, kind of looked down on for their Christianity. That's kind of what it meant for me, so... Um, personally, that that's why uh, that that's the that's the path to Christ that 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 the Lord drew me. Okay, so as far as like, so your answer to like why Christianity as opposed to like being secular or being some other religion or something, it's because of um, just the that sacrificial life of others that that just really resonated with you, and then also your own experiences of with God through God's spirit that's kind of like the foundational the foundation of your confidence and so forth like that you're on to truth as opposed to some other belief system you know yeah and, and, and when the Holy Spirit kind of grips you there's kind of no turning back <laughs> so um, you know um, being reformed um, I believe in the doctrine of of election and the doctrine of uh, some people call it like one saved always saved you know um, the way I see it is once once Christ turns your heart um, you know the old man you know he casts down the old man the old man is your flesh is still there but you know you still you'll still want to do you know what your flesh wants you know sins and whatnot but the Holy Spirit just draws you to him and as you as he does draw you to him, you want to be more drawn to him. That's kind of, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. And so, um, there have been times through the years that I've questioned my Christianity, just kind of like, you know, as I did go to a secular university and, uh, you know, there's times where I just, you know, you just question, which can be good, um, in a healthy amount, I think, you know, just cause what questioning can most of the time does if you're a genuine believer is it ground grounds you gets you closer it it reaffirms why you believe those things um and so you know as you know as i did go to secular university philosophy 101 these things they get you thinking but um as you do think um you know why not atheism why this why that why do i have this moralistic code of law you might say as as a christian or most people would not live by that, you know. Um, why do we abstain till marriage? Why do we uh, believe that, you know, all these different things that most people just find as nonchalant, little white lies, all those things. Um, I think ultimately those things just leave you dissatisfied. And so, again, just the Holy Spirit drawing you to Him, wanting, drawing you to be more like Christ, kind of just put a bad taste in my mouth for those things you can kind of look around the world you can see you can see current events you can see friends that you know you know have gone down these paths and kind of just not wanting to do those and and seeing the joy of the lord in some of your fellow believers that do walk the straight and narrow and that just kind of spurs one on and of course with the help of the holy spirit 
Spurs went on to just keep walking that path, you know? So what kind of things did you have to work through that you were exposed to in university? Um, like anything in particular that challenged your faith and you had to kind of wrestle through it? Not necessarily. I, I went to a univers- I went to University of Missouri St. Louis, which is uh, people joke about it being a commuter university. There's like less than 10% that stays on campus. So very much of the mindset of everyone is go, get your classes done, and go home and go back to your 9 to 5 because like half the student body are actually still working full time. And so it's a very unorthodox university. I wasn't staying there. I never was invited to any university parties or, you know, um, there were times where I like wondered what it would be like if I did, but in all honesty, it was just, um, you know, you, I feel like if you, if I put myself in positions where I could be closer to temptation or, uh, the possibility of going to places that I probably shouldn't have. I'm sure that would have come around more, you know, there would have been more temptations, but I didn't really have that. Um, I was working in construction and so I would literally just, you know, go to construction one day, go to class the next, um, and then I just do my homework and I, you know, I'd stay at campus all day, but I was, I was the studio, I was just going to class, going to the library. I'd get out of the library at 10 o'clock, go to the gym for 30 minutes, and then come home. So I really didn't have a lot of time, per se. Well, I mean, like, um, opposing world philosophical ideas or science or anything that um, seemed to be at odds with your faith. Um, Well, I I took a few philosophy classes because I do love philosophy. But the problem that I found with a lot of the other views is they were more uncertain than Christianity. Um, a lot of them truly didn't have grounds for, um, a, a, like, they didn't have a sustaining truth that you could that you, you could just guess, almost. And, you know, I know that a lot of people who believe in, in hard science, when you kind of boil down to it, uh, science is still, um, you know... It's still a theory, you know, and so when you get down to the root of science, it it didn't really pan out. Um, and then also, growing up, we did a lot of uh, Ken Ham. We did, we went through a lot of Ken Ham material, mm-hmm. um, and so the Creation Museum, and so kind of being grounded on that kind of um, it was it was kind of like I was prepared for it almost. I was prepared to understand that yeah, they're gonna. They're gonna. The world will go after our creation story. They will try and disprove that. Um, and just you know, studying a lot of the creation story in my earlier years, kind of, I was ready for it. And so I was, I was ready. I didn't necessarily have, you know, in philosophy class. There, I w- there's times that I would wonder, but it was like the Holy Spirit would just bring me back to truth and the truth. You know, the truth will set you free, I guess. So you enjoy philosophy? I, I did, yeah. It was it was fun. I, there were some fun electives. Okay. Critical thinking, it just... It, I'm very logical, and, and philosophy... Philosophy is not logical, but critical thinking was, which is like the, the class after that. So it just is like... When you study critical thinking, it kind of helps you how to 
talk and how to argue and not to create fallacies in your arguments. And it kind of, you know, it, it's very mathematical and I, I like math. So, yeah. yeah. What was your, what did you major in, by the way? Finance. Finance? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned life impacts that your family went through, but um, like what life impacts have kind of shaped you as a person? Um, well, my, as I said before, my dad went to seminary. And so one of the things we did when I was uh, five years old, we moved to Colorado from Kansas City. So that, And then whenever I was eight, we moved from Colorado to St. Louis. So kind of my upbringing was broken up into a couple different parts. And some of my younger siblings that were born in Kansas City, or sorry, born in Colorado, were born when we moved back here some 17-odd years ago. Um, it was kind of different for them than our, us older siblings. We had to kind of uproot, and I remember leaving Kansas City, and we had, like, no friends. We had a new church that we were helping plant, but we still didn't know very many people. And then when we moved back to St. Louis, we didn't have any friends at all. And I think us older siblings really... Um, it was just hard for us because we moved, you know, 14 hours away from everyone we knew, all our childhood friends that we spent three and a half years with growing to love and, you know, some homeschool families out there that were also large at the time. I think we had 10 kids and we had this, when we lived in Colorado, we had a trio of families where there was three families and 30 kids. Wow. (laughs) So it was like, it was, it was just one of those, I look back and it was kind of like these, like a few golden years where we just, you know, and all the kids were all like under the age of 13. So it was just, just, you know, one house with all these kids running around. It was just, it was just kind of like a kid's dream, you know? And then when we moved back to St. Louis, we didn't have any friends. So that was hard for a little bit, but God brought godly families around us. And, um, I think five days after we moved to St. Louis, we met some friends who we've known for about 15 years we've known 17 years we've known them since then uh our friends the sewermans uh we talk sometimes and say that we really believe god brought them into our lives um for me and my brothers we because we we did miss our friends and we we needed some you know they say that iron sharpens iron and um you know our our friends the sewermans are still walking with the lord and they were our uh they were our friends they were our brothers in christ um, and to this day, I still will talk to them and hang out with them. And so God kind of brought that family into our lives. And then, you know, so moving was one, uh, moving a couple times. And then um, in 2011, so that was coming up on 11, 12 year, 11 years ago, uh, my mother actually had cancer. And she was also, ex- she was seven months pregnant with uh, Samuel, my youngest brother. And then through that, um, my mother spent about three to four months in the hospital that year. Um, Mrs. Sewerman, our good friend, she almost lived at our house. She was at our house every day to every other day, some weeks. And uh, our church that we went to at the time just started a meal train that lasted for probably three to six months. I can't honestly remember exactly. And, uh, you know, it... And my dad was at work a lot of the time. And if he wasn't at work, he'd stop by the hospital to visit my mom. So there'd be days where we would kind of live without our parents. Um, so I was 14 at the time. Us older three siblings, I guess four or five, depending on who you talk to. We just kind of, we started raising our siblings. And so we just kind of, you know, we get 
food ready for them. We'd make sure they, because we had co-op classes that we'd go to, we'd make sure we'd get to those on time. You know, for church on Sunday, we would make sure that they were ready. My parents devised a partner system earlier on where an older sibling would take care of a younger sibling. So, like, my partner, Robbie, who is 17 years old now, when he was three years old, I would get his his clothes ready and get him dressed for Sunday morning in church and um, any other activity. So, um, I mean, just things like that where, um, you know, I could go on and talk for hours and hours about those types of things, how that drew our family closer together. We, you know... uh, some, we, we like to say sometimes that was the year we walked on water because the Lord is the one who uh, held us up. Uh, another friend of ours said that the Lord shows his love to you through uh, through his saints, through his people. And, you know, I remember we had so much food that people would bring that it was February and we just started putting casseroles on the back deck to stay frozen. So in the 20, 20 degree weather of, of February... We just left it out in the on the back deck, and, and we were fed very well by the church. We were provided for. Um, there were financial things that they did uh, to help us out. There, were, my pastor hosted a pastor Michael Schust. He's he now lives in Florida, and I think he does opera now. But he he did an opera concert because that's what he was trained in. He's from the Czech Republic, so he was raised in a. A house that taught him how to play the piano and sing opera and then he did that through college and got his doctorate in that and he actually hosted a concert that benefited my mother and there was I remember there was even speaking of the dances where we knew you guys there was even a dance that was specifically made to benefit this other family because they had lost uh, their father and this this that family actually wanted to donate their donations and it was just beautiful because it was like, you know, they they could have used that. You know, that that was a, an event designed to help them out. And they just turned right around and wanted to bless us. So just things like that that you see, um, you know, that that's the love of God shown to you through his people. And so, you know, through all that, us as a family, you know, we got to see out of nowhere how the, how the love of God just surrounded us from all angles. Everything from, you know, Mrs. Sturman helping us clean our house and forcing us to clean our rooms because our mother wasn't there, to random people coming over and, you know, making food in our kitchen, to um, random churches that had never met us before. They would just, you know, we had one friend who we knew lived like a couple states away and they said their church of a thousand people had a, had a prayer evening over us. So it's just kind of things like that where, you know, the, the gospel kind of... It brings us together in ways that we never would. You know, the, the, the gospel is what, is what unifies us as a body of Christ. And, you know, when one part of your body is, is hurting, the rest of your body kind of forces itself to cater to that, you know. And, you know, sometimes when you're that part that the body of Christ caters to, it can get very overwhelming, the amount of love and support that the church has for, for, for my family. My, my parents... And all my siblings, and uh, you know, just everything that conspired that year. So, hmm. wow. So that's interesting how you put that that God loves through His people. 
I'm just kind of thinking like what kind of um, lifestyle is most um, you know lends itself most to experiencing God you know in real and vivid ways it almost seems like um, you know a lifestyle where things don't go as planned you know and you have to depend upon him but um, what about um, so you know what about dating and marriage and stuff and your guys' philosophy about that um, I don't know if my parents have necessarily figured out a system per se um, my parents were pretty easygoing. they that's not to say they don't have their rules or their boundaries my parents like to take a lot of things case by case, which is kind of difficult with a large family. Um, there's a lot of things in the Christian church that uh, I feel like we like to just create hard and fast rules, and some of those are easy no-brainers, but others are a little more sticky, I guess, and I won't go into any of them because I, besides this one specifically because they just... You can talk for a long time about kind of how those work. Um, But with dating, my parents kind of took it, they kind of take it case by case. Um, They're okay with traditional dates. Um, And part of the reason I feel like is because, you know, if that individual is going to do something that they shouldn't, um, they're either going to do it when they're in your house or out. Like, you know, if they move out, they're going to do whatever they want to do. And so my parents were very kind of trusting of us. Um, and, that, and that's not to say there's not rules at all. Like, for instance, my older two... So the first two marriages that that happened um, was Elijah and Gabriella. Elijah's younger than me. He got married at 18. And so he was courting slash dating. We, we called it a date ship just jokingly because... It was probably closer to dating, but with structure and my parent. Like um, most of what they did was, she would come to our house and spend time with our family and just hang out, like on a Thursday night or a Saturday night, um, or go to you know events that we went to, like at our church. And then Elijah would go over to his ha- her house with siblings. So like, or and she did a lot a lot the same with us. So like when she was hanging out at our house, she was around a lot of us. We're, you know, we're all around, both of them. And then we went to her house. It was very much the same thing where oftentimes, on either cases, siblings would go along with. So, um, like, even one time, uh, I hold this over Elijah's head. I would actually drive Elijah on his dates sometimes. So I kind of hold that over his head. And uh, if he hears this, he, he might get mad, but he'll, be, he'll, he'll get over it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, kind of that, like you know you have a chaperone you might say and then there were times that they would go out to eat and then go out to eat at a restaurant and go for a walk and you know our parents trusted them with that um it was more often that it was the chaperone was kind of present um and then my older sister gabriella who got married three months after him so a lot of the stuff was happening at the same time she was 23 and she was working at the headquarters of child evangelism fellowship as an intern and her husband, her now husband, was also an intern. So they were living on a campus of a international ministry, which we all grew up doing. And they were kind of always around their peers, which 
we had met a lot of their peers. We knew some of the staff that worked there. Um, we, but that was kind of a case where my parents kind of had less authority. You know, you don't have control over these interns that have. They had a 15 month commitment, and then they had six months where they went through Children's Ministries Institute or something. So it was like a year and a half or so, or maybe a little over a year and a half of just her living on this campus. And they got engaged through the process of it. They dated through the process. But there was just a lot of trust that my parents had in that. Um, You know, whenever I started dating, I was closer to 22, 23. I was already out of my parents' house. So it was kind of something where my parents kind of knew it was up to me at that point. You know, if I wanted to do like a courting... Courting kind of doesn't make sense when I still drive back to my own place. It's kind of like self-defeating, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, if I wanted, you know, I, it, it, it's kind of self-defeating whenever you already move out. And, you know, so at that point, like, when I met my wife, I just asked her if she wanted to grab some barbecue at Sugar Fire. And then we talked for, like, a number of hours. And then we'd go on a walk at Castlewood State Park and just kind of like that and uh so my parents didn't really have a a formula it's just kind of like what they trust with that sibling my older brother when he got married you know he just he he who he married he served in ministry with her for like four years through youth and uh the youth group at their church um my younger sister reina she's I don't know if I should say if I should talk about the siblings who are dating in case it doesn't work out. But needless to say, she's dating a guy that she also met at Child Evangelism Fellowship. So there's kind of like an already like a lifestyle similarity there of serving in ministry. He's he works at the headquarters. So anyway, just sure. I don't know if that makes sense. There, like I said, there's rules. Um, a lot of the time, if it's far away, they do like a chaperone to be there. If it's a uh, if it's, I don't know, there's not really a structure in my family. They're just kind of winging it. <laughs> you know, you've been in different types of church situations. Do you have any thoughts about, like, doing church, like, when God's people come together, um, you know, just to be together as the church? Like, um, what is meaningful to you? Is it... Um, you know, interaction? Is it um, listening to a sermon? Is it singing? Is it something different? Or, um, you know, what What do you think um, as far as just the way people, uh, uh, Christians, ought to gather and what they ought to be doing when they get together? Um, that's a sermon question. <laughs> That's the title of a sermon right there, uh, if I ever did hear one. Um, I think personally for me, there's, I mean, a number, a lot of great things come to mind, you know, getting together on Sunday morning and just hearing the word and, you know, uplifting his, his name through worship and, and, and singing. Uh, you know, I, I think of prayer visuals when, when Christians come together specifically for uh, a designated time of you know an hour or so where they just pray and they the, the elders will bring up topics that they need to pray about. Um, I remember at my last church we would do these 24-hour prayer visuals. Uh, uh, 
where we would pray for 30 minutes and then call the next person and it was like passing the baton and we would pray for 24 hours straight as a church for a specific topic and sometimes you'd be at three in the morning and you'd get a call from a brother in christ and say hey passing the baton go ahead start praying and then you'd pray for 30 minutes to an hour did you know when you were going to be called yeah you okay. knew when you, you were, were yeah you were ready shift. i usually right. yeah it was a shift thing and uh you know things like that where there's just it, things that bring you know the church together you know i think of like what i mentioned earlier the ministry where you know helping people move um i think of vbs's i think of you know meal trains um like pretty much just like doing life together and um and even what i find interesting is doing life with people that you might not usually do life with um and when i look when I was in high school, two of my best friends were in their 60s and 50s, and and uh, one of them was a gentleman by the name of Lee Burns, and he was just an elderly gentleman that lived in uh, just out of Fenton. He had like a couple acres, and his health wasn't so good to where he couldn't mow the grass, but he could build computers. So he would build computers for us, and we would mow his grass, and we would talk about all kinds of things, and you know, we I remember having conversations about. Tolkien's works like Lord of the Rings and stuff and I remember thinking like I would never be friends with a a 70 year old 60 year old man if we weren't brothers in Christ you know so and uh, I worked for a guy who was in his 50s or 60s gentleman by the name of Rex Pace you know we would do construction and he would teach us you know how to how to rebuild everything inside a house and then we go back to his house waiting for my parents to pick us up because I was 13 or 14 and uh, we'd watch the History Channel. We'd shoot guns in his backyard. He'd, he'd let me mow his grass because I just liked riding a zero turn. You know, <laughs> thought it was fun. So uh, he, you know, like he was three times my age. And yet I have such fond memories of going out to the lake and just shooting with him and shooting fireworks and sitting around a bonfire just talking about live politics. And whereas... I never would have had that if we weren't brothers in Christ, you know? And uh, I think those are some of the things that I feel like really stick out to me is when, you know, uh, intergenerational friendships kind of bond where if it weren't for, you know, because most of the time when we talked, when I talked to them, we'd always end up talking about, um, you know, things in the Bible, things that we heard at church, because both of those gentlemen actually went to church with me at the time. And, uh, you know, those are just things that you can't really, I feel like, replicate when you're just, you know, living life. You know, I wouldn't find myself in those natural things. You know, I had mowing grass jobs where, you know, I'd cut someone's grass and, you know, you talk, and, but you wouldn't have that bond that, that Christ has. Um, and then, like I said, just ministry, just... Um, I feel like ministry just draws people closer together. It just, it shows, like like I said earlier, it shows the love of Christ to people. And that's not a goodness coming out of us. That's, that's the Holy Spirit working through us. You know, we're just the glove and the Lord's the hand. You know, some people say that. Um, I don't know. And then, and then there are some unorthodox things like um, my brothers and I, we like to airsoft. And so we like to invite a lot of our Christian brothers and we like to airsoft and you know sometimes that is what the body of christ needs or a float trip you know i know there's some people from your church that are going on a float trip in a couple weeks and and sometimes just getting away as as brothers in christ or brothers and sisters in christ on retreats 
and just kind of getting away to just relax can sometimes be good to just, you know, get to know, kind of help the bonds in your church, you know, those friendships build. And uh, because sometimes, you know, you need those people to, to carry you through life. Like, like my family had in 2011. And sometimes you really need, uh, you need those brothers in Christ when you can't hold yourself up. So, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about the number of members in the church? Like I've heard, um, this wasn't from, um, wasn't related to churches, but just talking about communities in general. Like when your your community gets to like a certain size, it's almost like it's not a community anymore. You can't hold everybody together and have like know everybody and stuff. Um, is there um, like a particular... I don't know. Have y'all been mainly involved in small churches or large churches? And was there a difference? And um, Well, that's a good question. So growing up, we were primarily involved in small churches. Um, there were a number of years in Colorado. We went to like a... I'm trying to think these numbers from when I was a kid, but I feel like it was closer to like four or 500. Okay. But um, where we lived in Colorado, it was just a close-knit town where it could... You know, I felt like even though we didn't know everyone at church, we knew who they were, um, you know, and um, currently the church my wife and I go to is closer to like four or five hundred. Um, and that's just where God has us right now. I'm sure, you know, the Lord can can move us. Um, I think personally, and this is not something I find in the Bible, this is just kind of something I've observed when churches do grow larger, um, excuse me, uh, they have to focus more on like the discipleship ministry, and um, a church that we used to go to would heavily emphasize small groups, and you know those were groups that would meet once a week, and they would just they would focus on different Bible studies. It, it's a little different than a Bible study because you know Bible study you kind of go. Um, Intermingled, you just sit in a classroom and you study the scriptures, which is, um, I mean, I do, I find that extremely beneficial. Um, but where it differs from a small group, I think, which is kind of something that Christianities have only recently started doing in the last maybe 20, 30 years, is they'll spend half of the time doing the Bible study section and then they'll dedicate a 45 minute section to just, um, just kind of going over how's life, you know, what are things that we might be struggling with, what are sins that might need to be addressed in each other's lives. And uh, the last church I went to, um, it's, it was part of the Harvest Affiliate, and they would emphasize that where they would have the men in one room and the women in another, and they would just kind of open up to various struggles they were having in all aspects of life, you know, and, um, and what that kind of did is, the church was only about 150, so it's still fairly small. You know, it how, how the way I see it, it was still fairly small, but you were still able to connect on a deeper level with individuals, and that way, um, as churches do grow, you can still connect on that level, you know. And uh, I think as churches grow, one thing I've observed is yeah, there is that sweet spot between 75 to 150 where you can know everyone and you're a big family and mm-hmm. most times you can even go to one person's house or you know. But once you get to like 150 where you kind of start to lose um, 
you start to lose, you know, those deeper relationships with everyone. I think at that point, and again, this is just from my personal experience in church, seeing what churches have done, what they have not done. Uh, I think those things need to either start be setting in place or should already be in place because by that time uh, you start to lose people through the cracks and obviously it's no church is perfect you know I see uh, I've seen churches where they did it really well and churches that didn't and um, you know my wife and I were talking about this one time where she said you know this is a church that has you know 500 people or so and they don't have a good small group or if they do it feels like it's set on the back burner and then she said and this church has the same model I said yeah but this church has 500 and this church has maybe 150 200 so I feel like it's when you have the 150 it there's and the church that has 150 is also family integrated which is kind of another aspect of church life which is a preferential thing you might say mm-hmm. I personally kind of prefer family integrated churches um, versus other churches will have their you know children's church and uh, so I, I don't know if there's like a perfect number mm-hmm. I've heard I've heard pastors say this um, well Vody Bacham says this so I'll throw this on his shoulders and not mine he says that if you have two services then you have two churches and to some degree, I can kind of see where he gets at it because if you have two services, there's half your congregation that you probably won't even be in commune with on a weekly basis. And then if you see them every three, four months, um, where are you going to have the respect or friendship with that person if you see them doing something they ought not to call them out and say, hey, brother. I think this is a sin, but I haven't seen you in six months. You know, that'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, that'd be seeing someone after a couple of years and saying, wow, you need to shave your beard. Like, you, you have no place for that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't think it's entirely unbiblical to have two services. I know a lot of churches struggle with, well, do you build a bigger building, you know, because that's a lot of money. And, you know, if a building's paid off, why, you know, some people might say that's a waste of the Lord's resources. And churches have split over such things. Um, the, the last church I went to that my parents were still going to was in a building that um, the church had split over whether or not they should build a massive building. And they did, and the church went bankrupt. So, I mean, that's a, that's a real fear that churches have, whether or not to overbuild. Um, you know, and then they, other people will say, well, they should all church plant, which I believe... You know, my father was part of church plant organizations for 15 years or so, and we moved out to Colorado to plant churches. And I do believe, you know, that's kind of the calling of Christianity is to go out and, and to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and, and that's planting churches. So um, whether there's a special number, I don't know. You know, some churches have the resources at 150 to plant and to take 30 members and plant a church because they just have been blessed with that financial means. Other churches feel like they don't rightly have those financial means till they hit 400. You know, but by that time you might only know half the people in your church and you might have two services by then. So, you know, I've never thought about this before, but just listening to you, I just can't kind of came to mind how um, you said Vody Bakum says you got two services, you got two churches. So there's like, what well, do you have two services? Or do you build bigger or whatever you do? But um, 
there's the idea of just having two churches, even in the same building. Um, I have um, a cousin who lives up northeast somewhere, and it's kind of like a planned community. So they have like one church building, but um, at a certain time, the Lutherans meet there, and then like they leave, and then the Methodists leave there, they meet there, then they leave, then the Baptists meet there. So it's kind of like an efficient uh, use of real estate, you know? Um, so it, it seems like um, to have multiple churches using the same building might not be a terrible idea, you know. But um, I've all, I've thought before, like, you know, having this building that you maintain all week just to be used for two hours a week, it just it just kind of rubs against me a little bit as far as just efficiency and waste and so forth, especially when you have to keep it temperature at a certain uh, place um, so that the instruments stay in tune and stuff like that, you know. But anyway, um, anyway, just yeah, idea that came up. But. No, it, it makes sense because uh, whenever we lived in Colorado, we had a church that we went to, and we always would leave church, and there was always people coming in because there was a, a similar thing going on where another church, and that church actually bought our building before we our church built a new building. But I remember that there was yeah, there was a few. Yeah, there were a few times where like we wouldn't go in that room, or this was not our church's stuff in our church. Yeah, um, yeah it can be efficient, especially if it's a church back east where real estate's much more expensive. You know, yeah. that could be a better usage of resources. Yeah, I feel like it's easier said than done. Maybe so. I've never been in that situation, but yeah. Um, has any books have really been big in your life? Um, well, my parents are book readers, so I probably could list off 20 different books that I feel like would be the, just as good to read. Um, you know, I think obviously off the top of the off the top of my head, you know, reading obviously the, the scriptures, reading the Bible. Um, there's a number of C.S. Lewis's works that we grew up reading. You know, Mere Christianity. Uh, in high school, I took a class. I took a literature class at the Pillar Foundation, which is like a homeschool co-op with free classes for homeschoolers and volunteer teachers. We read um, Pilgrim's Progress, which is my personal favorite book apart from uh, the Bible. Um, we read Screwtape Letters and uh, Jane August, uh, not Jane Augustine, um, Saint Augustine <laughs> Confessions. Jane o- Jane Austen's also one of those books that <laughs> a lot of homeschoolers read for. Uh, just enjoyment <laughs> right but uh, there was a, a book series that my mom specifically had us read uh ralph moody little britches have hmm. you ever heard of them no i haven't it's uh just great little reads it's like the male version of laura ingles wilder everyone read laura ingles wilder in our homeschool community mm-hmm. about this little girl who grew up on the frontier had a hard life farming well ralph moody is the the boy version and so like as a, as a young man I read the Laura Ingalls books but they were slightly uh, hard to track with because I was you know a 10 year old boy reading about a 10 year old girl mm-hmm. and like they were just you know when she would talk about sewing I'm like well I'm not going to do those same things or cooking or baking you know and she'd always talk about Pa doing you know the manual labor whereas Ralph Moody Little Britches there's I think like seven books or so the first ones, you know, father and I were ranchers and 
and it just at a ten year old as a ten year old boy he works like fourteen hour days and you read that and you just you just kind of remember like wow we have it easy you know mm-hmm. these were the families that took everything they had on a wagon went out to middle of Kansas Colorado actually Littleton Colorado is where he was based out of and uh, we lived in Colorado at the time so I can I can imagine it very vividly what it would have been like and just dry land farming working with horses cattle and you know he as a 10 year old 11 year old 12 year old uh just hard work and in the book they emphasize a house of character and my mom kind of took that out of that book and said you know you have a house of character and every time you do something that builds your character you know hard work you know generous acts of kindness those are things that build your house up. And then when you do poor things, you know, if, whether it be, you know, stealing candy at a store, you know, being um, rude to others and just that, that tears down your house of character. And so she would bring that up at times like, you know, whenever she was disciplining us, she'd say, you know, you're, you're not this isn't good for your house of character, because when people look at you, they're going to look at your house, your house of character. And they're going to say, oh, there's a man of character. You know, and the house is kind of just a visual aspect, you know, but they're going to look at you and they're going to they're going to judge you based on that. And depending on the acts that you've done to build up your house of character or tear it down by being dishonest, mischievous, um, you know, a thief, a liar. Those are things that they're going to either render you respect or not give you respect. And and then my dad always says respect is like a currency when you when you have the respect of others it's like you're giving out respect dollars and they're you know when they have your respect they're they're taking your currency and sometimes if they don't agree with you but they respect you they'll go along with you and so that's kind of how you cash in those you might call them respect dollars or i knew a pastor that i work with he calls them like you cash in those chips when you when someone respects you but they don't agree with you so anyway ralph moody little britches good books they're they're on hoopla if which is just uh, you can listen to audiobooks through the St. Louis County Library and probably other libraries as well, but that's what I use. And so, like the building the house of character or breaking it down. So, is that meaning like um, building um, like habits and ways of thinking and so forth, or is it like more? She means building reputation. I think it's both, honestly. Um, you know, your character is one of the things that you stand on as a person. And so, yeah, it's kind of both for yourself and for others. It, it's both and, okay. um, you know, because if you're if you're all by yourself, your character still means something, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if you had a house, you can look at it, but others can too, you know. Are you proud of what you've done or are you not proud of what you've done? You know, when other people look at you, are they going to be proud of what they see? And so it's, it's kind of both and, to be honest. Okay. Um. What do you find, you know, just really uh, satisfying or what just really resonates with you when you're doing it? Just anything in particular that, you know, you just find really satisfying in life when you're involved with it? Uh, Ministry and just uh, doing things that other people either get blessed by or enjoy. Um, You know, helping people move is just a a thankless thing to do for people. I say that because we did that a lot growing up. Just anytime someone was moving, big or small, we were always there. Um, you know, teaching children is just very rewarding to me. Um, 
even doing things with my siblings, you know, building relationships. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but something we that my brother Elijah and I, we do is we will host these airsoft events. And I know I've had some of your sons and, and son-in-laws over at our various places we've done it. But it's just kind of rewarding when you can do something that a lot of people like to do and they're really happy to come back and you're like, wow, I, di- I didn't, you know, we were just doing it. We originally started, my brother and I did it to build relationships with our younger brothers kind of in a, a special way, you know, because we're both, Elijah and I are both married out of the house and we still hang out with our parents, but we felt like we wanted to do a few, something that we both could be invested and involved in, you know, so... Um, you know, these are just events that we host at now his property in Union, Missouri, and we'll get anywhere between 25 to 50 young boys, and we'll just take our soft guns, which are just plastic BBs, and we they're meant to be shot at each other, and we get glasses, and we just shoot each other in the woods, and it's just fun times, but hopefully those are, like, memories that my brothers will will think about, you know, when they're in their 20s, and and other young men, you know, I, I have co-workers who are 18 and and they have younger brothers and sometimes they always talk about like, people talk about like what a drag, you know, siblings can be and I just say, you know, well, I said, I just want my younger brothers to remember me and remember like the things that we did and the time that we invested into them and to think of that as like, you know, like we wanted, we even though like it's like an uncle relationship, just that we were invested in their lives. So, um, and that same goes for ministry, you know, serving in ministry is just something that I feel like I look forward to. You know, I used to serve in Awana every Wednesday night and I was just the games director, but like, you know, my dad was, he would do the, the, usually the lesson and I'd prepare games and, you know, just seeing young men excited about memorizing scripture, listening to a sermon by this 50 year old preacher and, you know, run around a circle and play some simple games like those are things that like i look forward to because you know years later i'll i'll see those people later on in life and i've i bumped into them at at i bumped into one kid at a ross you know a random teenager and he said you know hey nice to see you again you know and so you know whether those types of things that are just the things that kind of get me going get Hmm. me more uh fired up about life you know pouring into other people and uh I don't know. Seeing, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it sounds like maybe too good to be true, but like whenever I see other people having fun or I see things that I've done that like blesses them and is an encouragement to them, that's more rewarding for me than just if I were to just go spend time on like myself, I guess. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, just now that I'm married to my wife and I just finding things that, uh, you know, obviously it's different as a single person than being married. And being married, you know, I still, you know, ministry still kind of fuels me, you know, even from like my wife and I, I like serving in ministry when we both can find something together to serve in or, or if she's doing something that I can support her in, you know, or she, I'm doing something she can support me in and just kind of building each other up. So obviously life looks different when you're married, but a lot of those similarities, a lot of those similarities kind of still fit in. So, Hmm. Well, it's been good and encouraging and helpful. I think, uh, especially just kind of those the last thing, last topic about kind of being other focused. How that's 
more satisfying than just um, doing something on your own just for your own sake and so forth. So that's cool. Anything else before we just wrap up? Not necessarily. Okay. It's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been fun sharing what my crazy life was like and my crazy family. <laughs> but yeah, you have when you when you stick close to your siblings, you always have best friends. So I know it's cliche, but it's true for me. All right. Thanks, Josh. Mm-hmm.